I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror cult exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z, folks. For a long time, I've wanted to bring on my friend and fellow Astro Radio Z contributor, Andrew Shearer. Now, you guys know him really well because he's been a part of this show since episode number four. But he's only really been on here as a fellow panelist and film critic. Because he is a journalist and film critic for the Athens Banner Herald out of Athens, Georgia. And he also has his own podcast, the Cinemaphile Podcast. Now, he's not coming on here and we don't talk about those things tonight. But what we're going to talk about is his amazing film production house, Gonzorific Films. And I'm gonna, we're going to sit and listen to the story that he has on how he became a filmmaker and his obsessions and his upbringing and everything, how he w- came from being a part of a family that was an outsider family to building a community of his own in Athens, Georgia. Now, Gonzorific Films is a female-centric, body-positive, cult-loving, exploitation art collective that are constantly churning out funny and subversive underground cinema for the right reasons. He's not one of these dudes that are constantly star-fucking, who's out there trying to get attention for his work and doing anything necessary in order to do so. Gonzorific Films is a very singular, unique entity. And it's not very often that I have come across somebody like Andrew uh, that has the ideals, conviction, passion, and love for not only cinema, but for the outsider. Hope you guys really enjoy listening to his story. I always love having Andrew on because he always has a ton of great things to say. So I hope you guys, not only as fans of my show, but fans of underground cinema, and possibly if you're filmmakers, you can get something out of what Andrew has to say and how he's kind of built this uh, community with Gonzorific Films in Georgia. So take a listen, and I hope you guys love it. My neighborhood, we had the, um, the Beaver Highway Twin and then the, um, and then the North 85 Twin. One was a regular theater, one was a drive-in. And if you've seen the movies there, you got to wait. <laughs> just, you know, a couple weeks or whatever. Or unless it's shit, then, right? It's gone. I saw, man, when people on their stairs came, I saw that shit five or six times. Same with Sleepwalker, Stephen King Sleepwalker. Oh, I saw yeah. That shit like every day for like the whole time I was there. I remember going, trying to go to see people under the stairs when I was young and I wasn't supposed to be in there and getting kicked out. You know, man, that never happened to me. I guess I got lucky, man. I don't know. It happened to my friends. They all went to see Army of Darkness the night that came out, and 
Um, they kicked all of them out. They had all bought tickets to see Homeward Bound. Hey, you know that movie about that dog? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I never even tried to do that. I would just have like a friend of mine's parents, you know, like who would drive us there or if my dad drove us there, they would just buy the ticket like for, you know, all the kids give them their money. But that was, I don't think they let uh, parents do that anymore. Like buy a bunch of R-rated tickets for kids and then leave them there. I don't think they even let you do that. Well, they still let parents go in and buy tickets, though, if you go with the parent, correct? I mean, I guess. I mean, unless if it was a horror movie, my dad would go. But if it wasn't, he didn't, he didn't you know, he would just leave, you know, saying like drop us off or whatever. Was your was your dad the one that, that kind of got you into sitting and watching all these kind of movies? Yeah, but I hated them. I was scared of horror movies bad. Like I didn't I was really terrified of everything. I was afraid of the Hulk. I was afraid of Kiss. I was afraid of oh what else? just pretty much anything spooky scary. Halloween, all of that, all of that scared me. I didn't I didn't like it. It was years before I had it, you know, like it was years before I could watch any of that stuff. So I just, well, then how did you get into it at all? He he just eventually kind of just worked me in into it, you know, because him and his brother, my parents were bikers, like the real bikers, like before they had like Harley Davidson clothes for your dog and shit, like they were real actual biker, like all the time, like ride a motorcycle to work in the rain and all that. And um, him and his brother watched horror all the time and would go to horror movies all the time. And the bikers love to go, you know, go to see stuff at the drive-in or the movies and drink beer and, you know, holler and go crazy and stuff. And so he was an early adopter of uh, VHS and stuff and cable and all of that. And so all of that was in the house and he was always watching horror with his brother, his younger brother. And, you know, he wouldn't put it on while we were awake. Right. But if we happen to get out of bed or, you know, we left the toys in the room and mom's like, you need to go pick them up. And Poltergeist is on, and the guy's ripping his face off, and that's the part that I saw, you know. And um, Tourist Trap, I remember seeing parts of that and just nutting up really bad and running away. And so he just he got a kick out. He thought it was funny, like to see me <laughs> run, you know, and all that stuff. And Halloween was always a big throwdown with bikers. Bikers had the best Halloween parties, man. And like they would rent a whole pool, a pool hall or whatever. And um, I remember one year it was a casket, right? Like a like actual, like he rented a, a coffin for this party, but it sat in our living room all week long. So <laughs> I'm like afraid of, you know, just basic Halloween masks and stuff. And here's a yeah. coffin like in our living room, man. And I remember going down the stairs and, and uh, I would get brave. Like near the end of the week, I would peek in and look, there's one nothing in it, you know? So oh, okay. like, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, but the the last day he had, I guess somebody had given him a mannequin to um, dress up, you know, and put in there for the party. And so he didn't tell me it was a mannequin in there. He just sat and watched me come down the stairs with my routine and look at that man. I'm just there's probably still foot marks on the ceiling of that house <laughs> in Atlanta from when I jumped up, you know. And he just he, God, he loved that man. Just made his day to see me flip out. He used to scare my friends and all that stuff. I talked to my friend today. He's like, man, you remember when your dad came around the corner with that scalpel? <laughs> I'm like. No, but I bet you do. Is that why you went home real quick? <laughs> so your dad was a, a practical joker? Everything, man. Like all of that. I mean, he loved like, oh, his favorite stuff was zombies and Tom Savini scream greats that tape he used to watch over and over and try to do special effect makeup on me and my brother. But I remember he did on my little brother a zombie 
uh, face with um, he used uh, liquid latex and rice krispies. Oh, so geez. Okay. <laughs> but he didn't put the he in in scream grades. He don't show how you're supposed to put the Vaseline like on the eyes and stuff, so it doesn't like murder your flesh when it comes off. Right, right. I remember my brother looked at himself in the mirror with the zombie makeup on it. He cried. <laughs> he was too little, you know, to be in zombie makeup. He cried, and then uh, but he really cried when it was time to take it off because it hurt so bad. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm sure his skin was totally red from pulling it off too. Yeah, but it was the awesome, the most awesome thing that ever happened to any kid on that whole neighborhood of that Halloween. So you know, it was worth it to see people. He custom made me a um, Ghostbuster. Um, uh, what do you call it? The 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 rifle, or whatever that the Ghostbusters have. The uh, oh yeah, the the pack that they that they yeah shoot the proton pack. Yeah, he made yeah. me that and and the, and the gun. And this was like 80s, man. This was like 85, 86. He made it for me out of like PVC and spray paint and cardboard. But it had an actual like camera flash in there because he was a photographer. Mm. So um, I could power it up and you hear the buzz of the old school camera flash going in the front of it. The big flash bulb would go out. So I would go to the um, trick or treat and, you know get it ready and we knock and then the person come to the door and it flashed their eyes and they start cussing and stuff. It was like the best. So it was that what your dad did for a living? He was a, he was a photographer. Nah, he was just a graphic artist. That was just, you know, his, his hobbies and his work were like, you know, kind of separate sometimes uh, for, for an early life. So he would just, you know, he worked in printing industry and then, but you know, cut loose, um, you know, on, on all his, whatever his hobby was, you know, cause he went through a phase of model trains. I remember we had a little strip club that he painted, you know, and I remember him getting a little magnifying glass to put the nipples on the stripper on the, on the little <laughs> model train. Cause you know, there had to be a biker bar in the train set. Oh, know? of course. <laughs> a little topless woman getting her picture taken on the outside. I mean, he, he was talented enough for real to do like Hollywood style, like Hollywood quality. Um, miniatures and stuff but um we you know atlanta at the time was just i mean it's only in the last few years gotten to be like a big hub for making movies back then it was more just like you know there we were huddled away in doorville just all this cool stuff in this one little house you know i guess we were that house you know like every halloween was that one house that went a little overboard and right stuff. that was that was pretty much us like you he painted this skull and uh put that the like like this flesh you could peel off was all gross and stuff. He'd answer the door, kids trick or treat, and he just peels off the skin off the skull and drop it in the bag. <laughs> and the no <laughs> start screaming and run off. Yeah, and man, because he just wanted to eat all the candy we bought. So he. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a matter of uh, practical joking. He just didn't want anyone getting in on his loot, on his candy. Nah, Derek Carey, I have, I have more stories than you got time to hear about <laughs> growing up with that guy. <laughs> so w- when he would go out and he, he would do his shoots would he include you in would he bring you with i was too young but at when we would do stuff at home i i had cameras in my hand like i mean there's pictures of of me i can't even walk and i got the i'm checking the camera out. he just believed that um if i was whatever i was interested in that if it wasn't going to hurt me you know he would just let me get my hands on it you know, sure. The whole learning through osmosis and eventually you'll pick up something that would spark your interest. Yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, he had a guitar and stuff and he could play and sing and all that, but I wasn't really that interested in doing that. And we, we had a camcorder early on, but um, it was the kind that you have to carry the VCR on your shoulder. 
you know, mm-hmm. like that yeah. old, old. So through all the whole movies, you hear him go, son of a bitch, just hurt my shoulder. And, you know, a little kid's playing and stuff. he's cussing <laughs> at it. And shit. But I, I remember that was, that was the one that like really fascinated me. Cause I'm like, you, it was a trip. We, me and my brother were like, man, we can go inside and watch ourselves on the TV. It was a trip. We couldn't wait. We were like, let's do something crazy real quick so we can go inside and watch it. The, watching myself on TV with that video camera, that was like the biggest trip ever. That was, I would say out of all of the things that he was into, that was the one that got like my earliest interest. So I wouldn't watch a horror movie. I wouldn't pick up a camera to shoot pictures. I wouldn't pick up a guitar to play it, nothing like that. But I like the camera was, was like that. That was what I couldn't wait to do that right there. So did it make you want to start making your own movies or were you just more enamored with, you know, being able to see yourself and doing silly stuff and making little skits and stuff on TV? At that time, yeah, it was that. But like, um, I, I don't know what happened to that original camera, but um, later on, like just a few years later, I want to say like late 80s, like 89, whatever. It was about about like junior high school time, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, my aunt had a, a VHS camcorder and I'm like, anytime she was in town, I'm like, please let me have, let me just borrow, let me make, and that was when I would like ripcord. We would just make up a movie like on the spot and start shooting that, whatever. I would go crazy. I love getting that camera. And it was, yeah, it was just, I wasn't even thinking about making a real movie. I just like to film stuff. You know what I mean? Just sure. Stuff. It was just a, it was an amazing power that it had for some reason to me, you know? Was it you and your your brother or was it you and your friends or who was all in your your group that you were going around and filming stuff with? Oh, man, the whole neighborhood was afraid of my family. So I didn't really have um, the kids weren't really allowed to play with us. So is it because uh, of the Halloween? Because your dad's waiting nah. around corners with scalpels and tearing nah, faces man, it off was, skulls? <laughs> it was the biker thing. They were just afraid of what they see in the movies, you know. And, oh, okay. And all of that stuff. And you know, I mean, they maybe had a good reason. I mean, there sometimes the motorcycles would come into the neighborhood at like two in the morning, wake everybody up. Harleys are loud, you know. And but they never, they didn't hurt anybody and stuff like that. When they would, if they would do something crazy, like. I got a home movie of them uh, opening a beer keg with an Uzi. They did that stuff like not in our neighborhood, like in an abandoned office park or something like that. Oh, sure, stuff sure. Like that. Yeah, that one's a trip. People didn't believe me that happened, and I showed it at the at the at the movie theater one year. I put that on before one of the shows. Like, wait, did you have that on? You actually filmed that? That he when he had his uh, video camera in the early '80s, he filmed them doing that. Yeah, well, a lot crap. of wild videos. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I had, it was my little brother and, and uh, my cousin and stuff like that. We would act that out. And then I did, I did make one friend, uh, our neighbor across the street, because he was friends with my brother first, a guy named Matt. And uh, they were playing something. They were about to beat him up. They were playing wrestling, but it got too real. So I kind of like, <laughs> I went in there and got him and took him home because it seemed like they were playing, but he was getting actually hurt and I felt bad for him. So uh, I took him home and uh, me and him just kind of hit it off. Like still to this day, he makes a lot of the score for Gonzarific's movies. And um, I was in all like, I think I was in my first band with him. A lot of my first like real attempts at making movies were with him. He ended up being my, my partner for a pretty long time. Would you say the environment that you were around kind of like the, um, the neighborhood and where you lived, where were people pretty close minded? I don't know. We just did our own thing. I couldn't really tell. Just didn't really care. No, not really. I mean, my mom says at one point that the neighbor, the the people that live next, right next door to us 
had got a petition and a bunch of people in the neighborhood signed it. Um, they wanted us to leave. They like wanted the shearers to move out of Oak Cliff Estates. And, you know, dads was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> when they brought that petition to the door, you know, talking about here's all the people that had signed it, you know. And that just merely because of the biker thing? Yeah. Yeah. They were just tired of us. Jesus. They, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I did, I did have the, yeah, I had the one friend of my brother and stuff like that. And, and, um, one, one, one Christmas, my dad and his brother, um, saw how much we loved the, the video camera thing and they pulled their money and got us, uh, like a, I think it was a Hitachi or a Magnavox, um, VHS camcorder. And I mean, we destroyed it within two years, but <laughs> we made about, I don't know, we made about 40 or 50 tapes worth of, worth of stuff, just like skits, short films, commercials, music videos, jackass type stuff, you know, setting stuff on fire, you know, things like that. Just some of it's on YouTube. It's a little scary to look at now. I'm like, man, my kids don't meet a guy like me. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen some of that. Have you gone back? Because some of that stuff that you've posted of the really old stuff, have you gone back and re-edited it or... Yeah, a little bit because uh, some of it was just really choppy. You know how it is. And most people listening to this that shot on VHS are going to know you had to edit with two VCRs. Right. And so those edits aren't very clean. And so I just went back to the uh, the old. The, I have all the tapes because those tapes still work. Like that's the best archive. Like even today, I, I archive all my shorts, even the HD stuff. Um, I use VHS tape to archive onto. It's kind of, it's just the only format that I know still works. I got tapes from like 81 of dads that still play good. So I just, I just went with that. But like, yeah, I cleaned them up just a little bit. And um, on the Gonzorific YouTube channel, yeah, there's a couple. There's a Ninja Crazy. Um, I think there's the Dream Idiot, my Freddy fan film. Um, there's a, there's a few things on there. So most of that stuff, was it more leaning towards you? You guys just wanted to make each other laugh. Some of it, like the TV shows and stuff that we would do. And some of the little commercials and stuff, we would just not even have any plan at all. Like we would just get home from school. You turn on that camera. Oh man. Yeah. And we would just, you know, whenever dad would find some weird kind of prop or, or, you know, donate a hat or an old Halloween costume, he would just, you know, bring it down there to us and we would just make something crazy out of it. Like we had this, Matt came up with this character of a French guy that whenever he goes, oh, he would disappear, but his mustache would stay. So we would like, you know, we would learn an early edit of how to like, you know, hit the button on the camera to stop it and then move somebody out and then start again and then he's gone. So we were doing a lot of in-camera uh, trick photography and special effects and stuff like that too. It was kind of crazy thinking about it now. How, um, how we were able to just kind of do I was doing animation on VHS also. I learned that press the button and then right as the red light comes on the record light, you stop it. And that's like a roughly a frame right. of animation. So we were doing, yeah, claymation, all that, all that shit. This was like 89 through 90. I joined my first band in 92. So yeah, it was about like a four year period, maybe something like that. What were you doing in your band? Were you playing guitar or what were you? no. No, I didn't want to be in a band. I wanted to make movies, but the camera broke. And Matt was learning uh, bass guitar. And, uh, you know, he was my main leading man. And he met this guy named Chris that was awesome on guitar. He, like, could learn Hendrix by ear and stuff. And these kids were, like, they were, like, 12. It was crazy. And so because I had long hair and I liked crazy stuff, and by this time I was way into horror movies and everything, he's, like... (laughs) you want to be the lead singer of the fetal pigs? And I'm like, the fetal pigs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was the name of the band. And I was like, yeah, okay. Can't sing, but 
you know, I can act a fool. I could write some, you know, gross lyrics about the sex I'm not having. And so, <laughs> <laughs> that, that ended up being like 10 year. Yeah. Like 10 years of my life ended up in various band, punk bands and stuff started with that. It was just, it was easier to do, to be in a, uh, to do music at that time uh, compared to doing movies. Movies just weren't, my only real thing I ever got to do was there was a, um, two girls in my junior high school wrote a, a teen pregnancy uh, story, mm-hmm. like, a, like a dramatized script or whatever. And one of the teachers came up to me and said, we heard you make movies. And I'm going like, uh, not really. I'm just, you know, and they're like, well, we got these two girls that wrote this script. You want to shoot it? They were good. Like they were awesome. They had their story down. They knew the lines. And I was like trying to do some like artful shots of them in front of a window and all this stuff. I'm like maybe 14 or something like sure. that. Sure. So I had, it's actually in DeKalb County Schools um, library. There is a, somewhere, a pregnancy video that was put out by the county that was shot and cut um, and directed by me when I was like, yeah, like in eighth grade. Did you use their facilities in order to do that? Or is it all still tape to tape on your, your home Not, VCR? I took it home. I did all of that. Jeez Louise. It looked good. It looked good. Wow. I took it real serious because it wasn't mine. You know what I mean? Like I want to yeah. impress those girls that did that. So <laughs> did it work? I had to make it look. Um, I mean, no, no. Girls are not <laughs> everyone to you. No, you, so you went back to the punk band to, to, to sing more songs about the girls that you weren't getting with. Yeah. No, man. God, uh-uh, no girls did not. Mm-mm, no, it was, it was, I was, you know, you know how it was, man. You're part of the weird crew in school. He's following, yeah. following with the oddballs and stuff. So, uh, nah, they didn't want to mess with me that much. <laughs> How big was uh, the city that you were growing up in? Oh, Atlanta? Atlanta's, oh, were you in Atlanta? Small. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, Doraville's was considered like right outside the perimeter. It's like, you, you, do you like Outcast? the group Outcast? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. On, on uh, Stankonia, there's a, a song called Spaghetti Junction. Um, I, my hometown, Doraville, is that's where Spaghetti Junction is. It's like the main artery where all the all the freeways get you right into Atlanta, like right before the perimeter starts. Okay, um, that's that's why I'm I'm from there. I remember when they were building Spaghetti Junction, nobody knew what the hell it was gonna be. It was like all of these giant girders with these big steel fingers sticking out. We're like, man, what is that? Years later, little did we know, it'd become a famous song on a famous record by a famous band. So um, that's that's where I live. So it we were um. um Marta we have is kind of like the metro or whatever. It's like buses and and, uh, and and train and stuff like that. You go to take it in and out of the city into all the different places and stuff. And I could walk there from my house to get on the train. So it was really easy to explore um, this uh, Atlanta and all of that stuff um, back then. And we went to, you know, DeKalb County High School and stuff like that, right in, right in the city. What was the first film you remember being completely and utterly obsessed with? Oh, other people's movies. Yeah. Oh man. The first, the first, well, I mean, because of my age, probably Star Wars or Ghostbusters, probably like those movies. Those were the big ones for me. Like I had tapes of both. I didn't have very many. Like we had like a ton of horror movies, you know, we're talking like Blood Feast was there. Dawn of the Dead was there. Evil Dead was there. The Beast Within was there. Life Force. I mean, he knew every dad knew every cool thing before anybody else knew about it. Uh, and so we had all that there, but my brother had the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh and the Barbarian Brothers, the one with the, the Paul, <laughs> the, the one that's Ruggiero Diodato's. The yes. Barbarian. Yes. He had, he had those two. Those were my brother's favorite movies. 
And then uh, mine were, um, yeah, Star Wars and Ghostbusters. Because like I said, man, I wasn't into horror stuff like that at um, that that young like that. I was, but I was obsessed with. Go- oh man, I made an audio cassette of Ghostbusters that I could listen to while I was sleeping. So I could memorize it. Man, I used to when I was growing up. We lived out in the middle of nowhere, and because there were times <laughs> that my parents would just lock us out of the house. To get the stink off, I guess, you know, push yeah. push the kids out. You need to get up the hell out of the house. I yeah. would sit and literally draw flip books of movies because I oh, could that's sit. cool. So I, I remember really early on having like a, this little flip book that I made of the alien popping out of uh, William Hurt's chest. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's almost like the wolf pack, man. <laughs> yeah only it was it was probably only like an inch long <laughs> and half an inch big so the flip book didn't work that great <laughs> oh right you try to get on your thumb and next thing you know it's like man sitting here and then there's some shit coming out of his chest what's in the middle i don't know man my thumb won't work it it's not working it's not working great so <laughs> <laughs> was that something you did a lot was was sit and tape movies to sit and listen to Nah, mostly it was stand-up comedy to be honest with you man stand-up comedy uh off of off of tv like any show that had stand-up i've never talked about this before um but like yeah i would do a e's evening at the improv comic strip live uh bet's comic view all of that stuff any stand-up comedy i was like i would i, I mostly would take that and listen to that was it mostly, were you mostly attracted to uh, the African-American uh, comics more than yes, anybody? Yes, the, yes, I was. I mean, the, some of the white ones I liked. I liked um, I liked Andrew Dice Clay. Um, I liked George Carlin. But mostly, yeah, mostly it was the black comedians that, that I really liked. Because, you know, they, they remind me of my friends at school. Sure. You know, guys in the neighborhood and stuff like that. They were just, I don't know, to me, just that was to me the fun. And plus, man, when you're a kid in the 80s and stuff, Eddie Murphy is like the top funniest person ever. Right. He was everywhere back then too. Yeah. So any anybody that was even a little bit because you know like you know how you memorize raw and you memorize um, delirious. You know that's just uh-huh. and and, a lot, and it also was hip hop culture was huge in Atlanta too. So like you know it wasn't a far cry to hear uh, skits on um, a lot of hip hop records uh, like uh, like you know NWA's albums, Two Live Crew's albums. Uh, you know, guys like that. Um, we were all listening to that stuff. It was huge back then because it was the thing that mom and dads were afraid of. Because you know, like my parents' favorite bands were like Alice Cooper and Uriah Heep and, and you know stuff like that. But Black Sabbath, Jethro Tull. So that did. You know, we couldn't get into like Guns and Roses isn't going to freak out your parents, right? You know, right. Nobody's parents, but man, our parents were scared bad of of hip hop music. So of course. You know, that was the rebellious, that was rebellion from when I was a kid. That was what, that's what you got into if you wanted to, you know, cause they didn't understand that. So where, how did you transition from listening to that stuff to getting into punk music and, and underground, like old school cult movies? I don't know, man. It was kind of crazy. Cause like, um, I was into horror and so I read Fangoria and I was in, I was I was um, listening to punk music and in the bands and stuff. So I was getting like skateboard magazines and just, just anywhere where anything new or weird was getting written about. That's kind of like what I picked up. So I did like a lot of reading early on and um, uh, on Buford highway, there was a store called book nook and book nook had all the crazy stuff. Like they had fact sheet five in there for the zines things. They had deep red. They had, 
like like underground comics. They had I, like I bought my uh, seven inch records there. I heard Bikini Kill for the first time, bought from there, and Right Girl did did a number on me. Like that was for somebody that grew up not really like my mom wasn't really uh, very expressive. Like she was kind of hard to get to know. She was just mm-hmm. kind of aloof and, and silly. I was kind of fascinated by women because I I didn't know any of them like personally, like just never had sat and had a conversation with them um, until I made my, my friend Holly um, when I was in like eighth or ninth grade was the first one I could actually talk to. So I think there was all kind of a weird, perfect storm of things, but the um, I did not even think about making movies when I was avidly watching them. Uh, Cause when I could drive um, our drummer was going to Georgia state university and oh man, you know, talk about the early nineties, the movies they would play there. Oh, dude, we saw Dead Alive twice on the big screen, and like when it was new, and like Reservoir Dogs and um, Clerks and Serial Mom. Like we saw all of those at the university. So it just, I don't know, it kind of, it kind of all started to kind of ball together. But uh, being in punk bands was what taught me what, about what DIY was. You know, like making your own stuff and not even thinking about like record labels or any of that. With like. You know, we were kids. We made yeah. made our own songs, made our own albums, made our own flyers, pay for the studio, out of money that you earn, you know, do shows with other bands. I mean, anybody that was that's in a band knows how all that stuff works. Oh, yeah. It was a that that to me was the, the big kind of influence. Um I didn't get I didn't really see any underground film really until I left Atlanta and um went and um uh, and got to Athens because Athens had a uh, a weird like you know weird indie video store and uh, in Atlanta we we kind of we we had that but it was it was it was hard to get to and the membership fees were crazy and uh, all this other stuff and the selection actually wasn't as good at blast off as it was in Athens video library and so um, I didn't yeah I wouldn't say other than like you know your your Texas chainsaw your necromantic you know stuff like that I'd seen it, yeah it wasn't until I got to Athens which is about an hour north of Atlanta out of, after I graduated high school um, that I really started to watch that stuff. We're Bikini Kill, and we want revolution! Girl Stone Night! Hey, girlfriend! I got a proposition, go something like this. Tell you to do what you want. Tell you to be who you will. Tell you to cry, cry Athens is way different than Atlanta. It was, it was a, it was, it was a cool, place. it was cool. I'm not, I'm not trying to bust on Atlanta. I'm not trying to say anything, but it's a big city, you know, right, it's metropolitan, right. you know, it's not, it doesn't have a weirdo identity. Um, it's got a lot of clicks and scenes, but Athens, I mean, it, it, downtown Athens, you see a, a t-shirt shop. The t-shirt says, keep Athens weird. It's just a, it's just a place that prides itself on its oddball reputation that it has had for, you know, definitely since the seventies. Where does that um, come from? Is it a school or, I mean, what, I mean, what? It, it is a college town, the university of Georgia is in Athens, but it's also like a bar scene with a, that has produced a lot of crazy bands, a lot of really famous bands, probably B-52s, REM, widespread panic. They're, those are just to name a few of the ones. Um, oh, I'm leaving one out. Neutral milk hotel. 
Oh wow! You know that? Yeah. So there's there's a there's a lot of a lot of really great, just crazy art and stuff. They just really embrace anybody doing anything different. And so, a town like that having a video store like that is a really like important thing. And I remember just uh, my girlfriend got accepted to UGA, so I. I was still working a video store in Atlanta at the time, but I just earned enough money to where I could bounce and go. I just was tired of it. I went, I need to go somewhere else. So I went out there and man, there was this place called video library right down the street from my apartment. And I basically moved in and lived. (laughs) I was there all the time. I mean, they had a whole section of just Russ Meyer movies and, and just something weird stuff and it was amazing in there and everything I'd ever read about in like psychotronic or anything I'd ever read about in like video watchdog. I mean, it was all there. I couldn't believe it. It was like jackpot. I didn't do anything. I didn't make any friends in Athens for years because all <laughs> you were just watching movies. Yeah, man. Watching movies and uh, blogging about That's how Gonzerific started actually it was a zine first and a blog first, all that weird stuff I was watching. I just started writing about it on the internet. Cause I would, I would look it up. You know, it's maybe like 97, 98. So the internet was still pretty new. There was no, to my knowledge, um, no IMDB or any real, you know, so I would just go on and look up. It's like, okay, uh, you know, and start looking up like Jim Wynorski or looking up like, uh, you know, film threat video releases like Richard Kern and all this other cool stuff. And so I'd try to look those up and it was nothing. So I just started my own little free website and started to review all that stuff. So, and I called it Gone Terrific because it sounded like Psychotronic. <laughs> basically well and you're also a huge muppet fan correct yeah yeah no that's a that's a big muppet was like the one of the things my dad was into that like my whole family embraced you know what i mean like we all watch that together we also all watch twin peaks together now that i think about it <laughs> i remember when i was growing up i my parents were watching twin peaks but i i think i was just i didn't my mind wasn't there at that time to sit and like wrap my head around what it was i think it was just like oh this is an old people's show i don't want to sit and watch this uh we we dug it together it was dad loved um blue velvet and uh a racer head like he had all of that stuff i mean it was i think about now all the things we had at home that i could have got into but it just wasn't my time yet i guess right i did not know how cool he was <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i didn't i don't think he knew how cool he was to be honest with you well, he was just being himself and just like we had said before, I, it seemed like it was one of those environments. This is the same way I am with my kids is that, you know what, you you create an environment and you just be yourself and hope that some of that rubs off on the kids and that attitude kind of rubs off on the, on the kids, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly the way it was, man. That's exactly the way it was. He wasn't trying to force me or push me or do anything. And whatever it was I got into, as long as it was healthy, he would um, he would support it. So, uh, you know, I I just really, yeah, I, I basically lived lived and breathed the underground movie. I was still playing in bands at the time because Athens is mainly a music town. Mm-hmm. So it was like the only thing that kind of made sense. But I since I wasn't making any friends, it was... I was still driving to Atlanta all the time to play in the bands that I was in and stuff. So I was really like, it wasn't, I, I wasn't finding my way and it was hard, you know, cause I, sure. I did not feel like a rock and roll guy. I never did. I hated, I could say this, man, most of the bands that we, I just, it sucked. It was a real negative feeling that you would get when you would go play. Everybody's just trying to be tough and rowdy and hardcore. And it was in the just, punk scene. 
yeah and rock too and all of that it just wasn't it didn't i didn't feel a warmth from it you know and i was getting i mean i did it when i was a teenager and yeah. then i did started to do it in my 20s and i just got all that gigging all the rehearsals all the recording all the just constant self-promotion you got to do and mm-hmm. uh, you know you can't not play a show in a month you know what i mean like you can't right you can't not do you just had to stay on it all the time and god this man the people in the bands you know what I'm saying? you get on your nerves so bad you start hating each other and you break up and a new one start i just got really 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 tired of it and and you kind of just i don't know uh, the, the last band i was in before i finally just gave it all up was getting like i knew right out of the gate something cool was happening we had a female lead singer and that was Monica Poehler, who I ended up starring in a lot of Gonzarific movies. We had press attention immediately. We were getting good gigs immediately, open up for f- good bands, like, you know, well-known Atlanta local bands. And uh, it got to the point where um, it was, everything was happening the way I always thought it would, like always hoped that it would in the band. And mm-hmm. I didn't like it when it started to happen. <laughs> I was not happy. Was what, fa- why was that? It was funny to finally get what I always wanted, and then I just didn't because I didn't want to do it anymore. I I, would, I was you were burnt out. I was burnt out, and it was starting to be. It was starting to happen where um, MP3 was starting, you know, and mm. it was getting to be. You'd starting to read about file sharing, all that stuff, and I was going like, "All right, a Columbia Records a subsidiary called Kerr Records was wanting to sign the band I was in, and I was just like, they wanted us to go on tour. They wanted to change the name of the band." And there was a little bit about like maybe starting to have some similarity with how we, we dress as far as like coming up with a look and all this stuff. And that made me want to puke. Like I hated, I did not want to do any of that. And I didn't want to leave. I liked my job and I like, you know, I was happy with, you know, I was married by that time and all this stuff. I was, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to go out on tour. I didn't want to do all that stuff. So I just, I quit. I just said, I don't want to do it anymore. That was it. You know, I was, already starting to try to write scripts and things like that. And digital was starting to happen. I was starting to, you know, as I was blogging about cult movies and low budget movies, people were starting to send in like their own stuff, fans of the site that would come across like uh, the stuff I was reviewing. Like, Hey, I made a movie. You want to watch it? Micro budget. You know what I'm saying? Like that Mm -hmm. was happening. And I was like, man, this is what I need to do, man. I don't need to punk rock. It's been over. You know, I got that out of my system. So I was, I was pretty much done with it. And um, so, yeah, Monica and I just, I think the day after that band played like a New Year's Eve show, we were like picked by the club to close New Year's Eve. That night, that show was so good. I'm like, um, let's just stop here. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just, let's just not do no more. So Gondrafik as a filmmaking entity began the day after that band broke up. Like we shot Buttonhead the day after that broke up. Regular old movies may satisfy those skinny bitches. But only Gonzerific knows how to touch me in all the right places. With its all-natural, homemade blend of cannibals, lesbians, blood, guts, and vomit, Gonzerific always makes me scream with cinematic ecstasy. For a ravishingly underground experience, go underground. Go Gonzerific. So 
So, so going into Gonzorific, like, did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted to do or did you just want to make films? What I, I learned a lot from those 10 years with punk music. And basically I was like, if I don't have anything to contribute to film, then I don't want to make it. I want to have something that is unique uh, and it's something no one could get anywhere else. But I also wanted to use what I learned uh, in punk rock to apply to cinema. So basically it was just like, I knew that feminism was going to be an important thing. I wanted to make sure that the females were up front because it, I, I know you've been here, there, man, in the clubs, seeing female front of bands, especially back then was like really rare. You see a girl yeah. walk into a club with a guitar on her shoulder. She's probably carrying it for a dude. And that really sucks. But that was a lot of what was happening on the scene. So, uh, and I always hated that because I'm like, man, that would be so cool if she got on stage and ripped it, but never, hardly ever did you see that. So, Or it was a gimmick. Yeah, I know, man. And and I, I just really wanted to, I met some cool women on the, on the music scene and I wanted to put them in the movies because to me, they were stars, you know, like, and they were really great. And I knew that they were, could be loud, right? And I knew sure. they wouldn't be like afraid to say wild crap or whatever, or do wild crap. So those were the people that, like kind of populated like them and their friends were the ones that populated the original Gonzorific movies when it started. So where did this from being a boy that was not necessarily hitting it off with the girls, but kind of fascinated about it, where did the feminism angle within you kind of spur from? Where did that come from? I was it was partly with Riot Girl seeing that when I was a, a young man in punk bands and stuff. Riot Girl was to me the real punk. Because it was, other than that, it was just a lot of dudes doing the things that always, that dudes will always do. You know, they'd be, they'd be loud and they'd be stupid and they'd be drunk or they'd be angry or they'd be moody or whatever and writing songs about all of it. And I was doing the same damn thing. And I did not, I early on after, I remember after Field Pig, I probably, yeah, 14, 15, my next band, I was trying to get any girl I knew to be the singer for that band. The next one that was after that. Because I just did not, I saw that as being more revolutionary. I thought, I thought Riker was the real punk. And, you know, that leads you to, to feminism. And I did volunteer work at a, at a rape crisis center. And so you go through all kinds of training and meet kinds of people and hear everyone's awful stories. And yeah. so it just, it, all of that makes you see the world different. It makes you have your priorities a little bit different and you start to look at things in a way that you never looked at them before. So let's say you're watching like a show or a movie and it's just all dudes talking to each other. You're like, man, what, why? This is just, there's nothing to me as a male. There's nothing new about that. Like the male point of view is my point of view. So why would that be interesting to me? Why is that, you know, like, why would I need to put one more out? Like I'm talking right now of a guy's voice. People probably don't even want to listen to this just because another dude talking about, you know, VHS and punk and movies and shit. Right. There's right. Not, it's not really interesting about that. Like to me is nothing. So I was very important to me to, uh, I don't know, to, to, to get those scales balanced a little bit. I thought, that was a way that I could put a dent in what's there, like put my own stamp in the film world was to come at it from the punk angle and the feminism angle. That's what I did. If you were to pitch Gonzorific, what is Gonzorific? Uh, it's underground film with an eye toward uh, female audacity. Um, I like to just say midnight movies, you know, and that's why all of our all of our uh, film festivals that we do each year, we've been doing them since uh, 2008. 
Uh, it always happens at midnight um, because I feel like that is pretty much a catch-all and it could be anything, you know, because I didn't want people to think, oh, they're going to see a bunch of horror or, or they're going to see a bunch of comedy or whatever. You know, Gonzo Riffic may have began um, using like the Dreamland model at, and really actually the Muppet model as far as like a just a, a group of people who are all kind of oddball, but all have a specialty, a good a thing they like to do and get kind of crazy um, but all have like a good, a good, uh, solid, like motive for it, you know, and then nobody wants like a career in film. We're just all artists of different kinds that sort of have a similar feelings about, um, about making art and, um, Gonzerific has just become the umbrella under which they all do it. So there's a, there's a scene in Muppets Take Manhattan where they finally get to, um, the office of the producer and, um, you know, Kermit says, like, you know, we're kind of like a family or whatever and to, to pitch the show. And so that was kind of always my model and going off of just my dad and his buddies, how, how they were all this ragtag kind of group. Everybody had a nickname and stuff, you know, Dirt, Ralphie, Sidecar, <laughs> you know, Beer Can, Jack, Coco, Pan. Like they all just had um, how one guy's name was Dirt. <laughs> so... Oh, for real. That so, just sent you back, didn't it? All of a sudden, that realization just came to you. <laughs> it did, man. A basic-ass name is like, who are you, man? Dirt. Dirt. Why Why? Why you want to be named Dirt? Because that's what I ate for breakfast, man. Leave me alone. <laughs> I just I just like the idea of of a, of, a, of friends doing something together. And that's the way the bands were. It was always my friends. So I wanted to treat it like a band. I want concert to be a band that anybody could join. Yeah. And, and just whatever it is that you play, let's get crazy. Let's get down. Let's do it. That's, that's the way I want it to be. And I, you know, I also wanted a degree of control that I didn't have in bands too. Cause if somebody was to quit, you'd be, you know, you're screwed for a while. Like, man, when are we going to get another drummer? We don't want to hire a stranger, you know? So not being a band, but being, you know, a film collective, let's call yeah. it. Uh, that meant it could be kind of a revolving door. If you're sick of it, you know, you could walk away and you just won't be in any more movies. Uh, if me and you have beef or whatever, or if a problem occurs, some drama, um, you know, then you're you're out of here. You can keep it healthy if you want to, and keep it going good, and uh, keep the creativity happening, and you know, people get out of it whatever they put into it at this point. Sure, it's funny that you say that all you the collective, like all the people that you grew up with, like your dad's friends, all had specific like nicknames and all this stuff. Because throughout all of uh, Gonzerific films, most of the people are all under pseudonyms. Do they come yeah. up with their own names, or do you come up with the names? How does that happen? I came up with Monica Puller's name because uh, she was a singer in the band that I was in and we didn't want, she used a real name in the band. So we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, cause we were aware of the internet and all this stuff. And thank goodness I thought to give everybody fake names because Gonzo Riffick blew up immediately. I had more interest in it in the first six months than any band I was ever in after years. I mean, it was crazy. Why was how- that? We were just, I think we were hitting a micro cinema scene and beindependent.com, which were the two big hubs of micro cinema, really took a liking to what we were doing early on. We put a, a short film that we made called Disaster for Christmas. YouTube wasn't even around then yet. We were able to put uh, Windows media files on a free server and broken up into several downloads. 
And so people could actually watch our movies. And that was not a thing that everybody doing micro was able to put out, you know? I mean, we had tapes and stuff, uh, but no way for people to really kind of buy them. There was no PayPal, you know what I'm saying? It was real early. Yeah. So, um, and that was, and, 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 you know, Monica became like, she was basically the face of it. And, and um, thank goodness that I, and that name was, God, I don't even know. I think it was like one of the porn star name generators, like an old website. <laughs> you know? And it was like Monica Lewinsky joke or whatever, but it she sure. kept it. And, but no, everybody else uses their own. And now with the roller derby and the uh, burlesque people being so involved with it in Athens, they all already have their own names that they use. So that, you know, it kind of falls right in line with that. But back then, yeah, everybody got to come up with their own. Oh God, it was, there was cookie finger bang. I was like, man, that sounds too porn. You can't be it. So sure. she became yeah. cookie J waters as in cookie John waters. Sure. So, sure. Sure. <laughs> I did have to, to kind of steer people here and there a little bit, but um, no, to my knowledge, yeah, Marcos was the only one I ever came up with. Now you didn't start this in order to not have your real names out there, was it more of just a playful thing? Like you just having fun or were you kind of concerned about people using their real names? Yeah. I didn't want, I didn't want people to, I, I just, I know I was already seeing how dudes were obsessing over women that were in the, um, in underground movies and indie movies and all that stuff. And I just didn't want anybody to be able to find them and stalk them or any of that. And thank goodness, because this was before Facebook also yeah. before you could look up someone's name and really kind of like harass them. And um, so, yeah, I wanted to kind of protect them and they all had legit day jobs and everything and families and all that stuff. And, and, and the right out of the gate, our movies were subversive. There was, uh, you know, partial nudity in them. There was sex acts in them, you know, simulated obviously with household objects and inflatable <laughs> things and all this other stuff so i just was trying to yeah because buttonhead is about a uh it's basically like my deadly friend except for instead of bb being a robot it's a clit so i was just trying to do the smart thing by all of them and use fake names just trying to stay safe now have you had anybody come at you saying okay this is a little too far i don't want to do this or is usually everybody on board and go with it Oh, you talking about like me write a script and then bring or it content to the, wise? The yeah, just content wise in general. No, um, everybody's pretty much okay. I, I, um, I, you always have to have like a conversation about boundaries with people when they when they want to join the group. And as time has gone on with Gonzarific and as as things have gotten, you know, because I, I really sort of. Um, embraced my inner Russ Meyer and my inner Doris Wishman and started really wanting to make stuff that was less violent and less nerdy and do things that were more like playfully sexual or whatever, or, uh, you know, play that angle up a little bit more and explore. Cause I, you know, I could have a head explode and it would not freak out the people that come to midnight movies or whatever, but you show like, you know, someone take the pants off and show someone who's butt or something like that. People start to lose their minds about the body. I mean, you know, that's true. Oh, absolutely. Just, it's just America. So I was like, Oh, that is dangerous. Oh, that's going to make us dangerous. So I could not, you know, so there were people who, yeah, there were people who kind of left um, when that started because they were just not comfortable with, you know, going kind of that far on screen, you know, things started with like, backyard horror style things or goofy ass stuff, but it eventually graduated into a little bit more, you know, it got more and more subversive, not like trying to freak people out. Sure. Just going with, going with what I thought 
was cool and what excited me. You know, you, you start making movie after movie after movie. Right. You got to stay interested somehow. And I, I won't lie, man, there's a thrill of, of being in the theater and knowing the people are really getting uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to experience. And I'm like, man, because God, not, because underground doesn't really exist and grindhouse doesn't really exist. None of that exists anymore. Um, I, I wanted people that were coming into a midnight movie screening in Athens, Georgia of all towns to really get something when they walk in that door for it to really be, you know, if they don't know what to expect, I want to at least give it to them because, you know, these people have seen South Park and they've seen Hostel and they've seen all of this. You know, there's a lot that's on TV that's really weird. So. Uh, we thrive by just, you know, be, women being comfortable with their bodies and being, you know, brazenly outrageous and all of this other stuff, no matter the age or the size or the shape. And uh, that's still in 2016, a very uh, revolutionary thing to be doing. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, that struck me right away when I first started watching the Gonzarific films is is not only is the obvious affinity for old cult film and and how you guys model a lot of the things that you do off of old timey cinema but the fact that you are not only willing but uncaring if any anybody feels uncomfortable about it about showing women of all shapes and sizes and, and creeds it's it's refreshing and have you had a, a, a good reaction to this? Have you had backlash to this? Because we know we li- you know, we live in this kind of like we need to have the, women have to be depicted with the perfect body or you won't get an audience that like women of, of plus size aren't the preferred people to be putting in your movie. Your movie becomes unmarketable um, right away. Uh, what if, what has been the reaction? to uh, how you've been so body positive with uh, well, the films you make. It's been real cool, man. And thank you for, thank you for, well, one, thank you for doing this at all. Very, you know, I do not have people running at me wanting to, me to talk about this stuff, believe it or not. But like, I, I, um, I'm glad that you noticed that, man. It really makes people really happy to see that. I remember one of the times we did Cinema Wasteland, uh, we had a, uh, um, uh, a little uh, trailer reel that was on the table, you know, the TV playing. Uh, my my good friend Henrik Kuto put that together because we were sharing the table. I think that year we were promoting Faces of Schluck, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a project that was me and him, Chris Martina, and Justin Channel. We all did short films together, and um, it was released by what are they called? Pop Cinema, EI Independent yeah. Cinema, Alternative Cinema, whatever you call it. There. Um, so we had this trailer loop running and uh, Gonzarific's trailer has a 300 pound woman reenacting the Clairol Herbal Essences commercial in the shower. <laughs> He's rubbing the DVDs all over her body and stuff. And she, no, yeah, she's not a small person, but she couldn't wait to do it. And she was really happy to do it. And uh, she was, you know, really gung ho about it. And I remember like seeing this mom and her daughter just standing there looking at it. And even as as cool as cinema wasteland is you're still seeing a lot of the modelly scream queenie looking types absolutely on all those movies there and for them to see someone that you know maybe look more like them or somebody they know you know maybe their aunt or maybe a a person at work getting down like that just like a scream queen would and it not being a joke but being serious 
um, it really did something to them. And I remember looking at it going like, man, I got to tell Priscilla when we get back, cause the actor that's in it didn't go with us. Like I got to tell her that I saw this mom and this daughter do that. But as far as like a negative reaction, oh man, it's, you know, the Amazon reviews, the YouTube comments, stuff like that. People are saying, oh, all these, all these people are fat, <laughs> you know, but of course they would think that cause they don't know what to do when they see it, you know, it flips them out. You know, it's like, you know, people hearing punk, these people can't play their guitars. It's just a bunch of screaming, you know, same thing. Right. Instead of recognizing the energy and how it makes you feel and and people are so conditioned to be seeing these really most of the people we see in magazines and in photos are photoshopped. Those aren't their real bodies. Let's be honest. No, no, no. And, you know, I I mean, there are some people in Gonzarific that do have those bodies and but there's people that are big and people that are small. I just didn't want, I'm not turning down anybody based on how they look. If they got the enthusiasm and the energy and the creativity that want to be involved in something like this and they're a good person, that's a new rule. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's a huge, that's something that I've always tried to have around me is a strict, no asshole rule when it comes to creating anything. It can sometimes creep up on you a little bit and and sometimes things can kind of go south and you just kind of got it. I fostered some, some pretty poisonous relationships uh, in the sake for the name, for the sake of continuing to crank out movies. Cause I was really in love with movies, but it was, yeah, there was, there were some growing pains that, that had to happen, but I'm happy to say guns are 2000 since 2012 has been nothing but a, a, a smooth ride and a real healthy experience um, for everybody. It's been really everyone involved is amazing and um it's like it shot past being a dream come true like a long time ago for me well you can definitely see the progression of your early films that that have more of that kind of shot on video quality and that's not and people that listen to our show obviously know that when i say things like that that doesn't mean the quality of the content that just means the actual video quality is that it, they, you you shot it on, you know, DV cameras and stuff like that to where now, uh, let's just say the last thing uh, you put out, uh, the underground cinema, that stuff looks beautiful. Oh, it looks thanks. very cinematic. Thanks, man. Well, you know, uh, we just use whatever cameras we could get. Um, I participated in a medical study to get the money for our first uh, DV cam. And so that was a Sony Handycam that shot on um, Digital 8. And that was Gonzarific's first camera for uh, when we stopped borrowing the cameras uh, in 2003. Uh, it's when I started to get, I had my own finally. And I just, I made, yeah, I made like $600 off of, of this medical study. And, uh, and so um, I bought the camera and um, didn't get a tripod. So that's why some of the old movies are kind of ratty looking. It's because I didn't even think about tripod. I was still using it as a camcorder like you do right. when your kid just film, film this, film that. Uh, the idea of setting up a shot, it took me a little bit to grasp that concept, you know? Where did that come from? Where did you all of a sudden, like, learn, oh, man, I can use a, a tripod. I can I can set up, like, dolly shots. I can uh, – I, I need to focus on sound. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, where did that stuff come from? It was just watching them back and going, like, damn, man that's that it's screwing up because you got these people doing this great dialogue and doing this you know i had some i mean the actors from the get-go were really good like i to this day like i would put almost any of them in another movie if one of them was to come back and some of them have come back Mm -hmm. uh, from the old ones 
I was just like, man, they are killing it. And this is, I'm sitting there with this camera and it's shaky, you know, and always it embarrassed me really bad. And uh, so I, I wanted to make sure Psycho Vixens 2004, which is the first one we had, we were sending out to a lot of film festivals and stuff. I was really proud of that one. Like that was the, that was one where I was okay selling it and stuff like that. Cause it felt like a real movie, even mm-hmm. though it was the same camera, people swore that I had invested in another camera just because I actually had steady shots and, you know, kind of composed things a little bit better. Sure. So, you know, you making movies in a hurry. Uh, a lot of times run and gun, you know, you just, you just trying to do it. You're so excited. You don't think about it. And I say me, I'm still that way. I still get shots sometime out of focus, things like that. And I'm like, damn, man, I was too excited about and having too much fun and messed up this shot. You know, even in our new, our newest one, late night cable. Yeah. There's some, some shots that are kind of soft, but I think because of what's being said and shown in on the, in this in the shot i don't think people are gonna notice yeah no it's it's more about what's in front of the cameras what i always tell people you know because even though we've over the years gotten different cameras or new ones and stuff like that i kept all the old ones and you know even in our most recent showcase we shot stuff on vhs shot stuff on iphone shot stuff on um gopro even even my kids little fisher price camera so it's (laughs) it's really like it's just a, it's a matter of, of just, you know, what you put in front of it. Oh, but I had, oh man, this one special effect we had where somebody was shooting theirself and we rigged this tube out on the back of their head and put like some pieces of sponge in it and stuff. And, you know, we used a garden sprayer to not to spray the blood, but to pressurize the air inside mm-hmm. it. Sure. That pump to go. Yeah. And so basically all we had to do was release this valve on that pump and it would send all of that flying. Right. right. But the pump, the, not the pump rather, but the uh, tube that she was wearing on the back of her head had got turned around while she was getting set up. Right. Oh no. So she puts a gun in her mouth and the effects person hits that button and all of the blood and all of that stuff shot out onto me and the camera and I onto the wall where it was supposed to like the classic, you know, shot of all the grew going out the back of someone's head yeah, onto a wall. Yeah. 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 Instead of facing the wall, it faced toward me, so it just rained all type of stuff all over me. Did, now, wait, did you get? Did it hit the lens? Nah, I mean, it, it just looks like it. You nah, you don't see anything. So you didn't even good, you weren't even able to use kind of like a gimmick shot where a bunch of blood hits the camera. Nah, basically, um, our save was that um, I had her fill her mouth with blood. And kind of like how the Bud Dwyer, that famous footage yeah. is of him shooting himself. Yeah. You know, it mostly comes out of his nose, but uh, I had it come out of her mouth. So it does like all the blood kind of leaks out of her mouth. Um, but nah, you don't see, <laughs> you don't see anything. It was like, I mean, there's, I mean, there, everybody that makes movies with, I, yeah, I hate special effects, man. I try not to do them anymore. I mean, we, luckily we have people like a lot of the, the people in Effie's Club Follies, the burlesque people and all that. They're used to building costumes and a lot of them have theater experience. So they're used to building sets and all that stuff. They love making things. And yeah. I love that they love making things because I hate it. I do not. <laughs> it's crazy. Like the year we made Dr. Humpenstein's Erotic Castle, which is basically like five strippers one after each other with a weird gimmick that they do kind of like our version of uh, orgy of the dead was a year. Like I'm, I I met all the burlesque community in Athens the year after that. (laughs) So I made a movie that would have been perfect for them, but I made it the year before, you know, I mean, it it still works, but I had, I hated having to come up with everybody's, you know, that's why one of them is just like a possessed ass. 
<laughs> you know, because I'm like, forget it. Just whatever. You know, I mean, I can't think of things. One of them takes off her clothes and then eats them with chopsticks, you know, which somebody walked out during that part at the screen. Have you sent your movies out to a lot of film festivals or do you tend to just kind of put, put them online? Um, I know you do the Gonzarific Film Festival in Athens there where you yeah. once a year you, you showcase all the stuff you guys have been making all year long. But have you sent it to out, uh, sent your films to outside film festivals and how have they been received? Over the years, I've kind of quit. Like it's just been like it, the the festivals um, ever since like really within the age of HD and DSLR and all that stuff and a lot of uh, you know what was once micro budget or whatever has kind of changed and there seems to be a a lot of it's about networking and about being seen and about clicks and all this other stuff and. Um, I was a judge at a few festivals and I got disheartened by the stuff that was getting picked by the, all the other judges. There's an emphasis on like who made it and what they made it with and how it looks and this, that, and the other. And a lot of festivals are just people, you know, with their trying to get their connections or, you know, programming a film. So this person will come to, you know right. what I mean? And being able to sell tickets. It's not like, yeah, it's not like it was. And I was never in it to get involved in the movie industry because underground film is more of like just kind of art, you know, like my friends and I, um, you know, we could, we could be putting together model cars. We could be, you know, doing cross stitch or, or whatever. We could be playing bridge. We make movies and that's pretty much it. There's just not a whole lot of context for, because there's a whole industry built around film. Right. And our royalty is celebrities in Hollywood in America we just there's this automatic assumption that that's what everybody wants to work toward but we don't we just make it and have fun so over the years yeah um i started getting uh the, the fees got to be too much the process of submitting got to be too cumbersome but mostly uh you know the the rejections were just like i took a it was it would hurt my feelings you know because uh, I was thinking, well, that's some of the best stuff I've ever done. Why would they take some of this old weird stuff that looked horrible compared to this, but they won't take this? And I didn't feel like entitled to being accepted just because I made a movie. That doesn't make me special. But I'm like, why would I do that to myself, man? You know, there's a couple of festivals that get it. Mascara and Popcorn in uh, in Canada and uh, Crimson Screen in South Carolina. They are big supporters of Guns Riffic. They really love it. And the films play there. But as, if, if anybody that doesn't live in Georgia or the Athens or surrounding area or doesn't want to drive to see Gonzarific shows every year, there is no way to duplicate that experience. We try with the DVD releases to get approximate it by um, releasing as much of the in-house produced stuff as we can. And uh, Amazon On Demand has a few of those collections too. But the shows just, there are films in there made by people locally that they own and I don't own them. So if you didn't see it at the show, you know, may never be shown again anywhere. Some people just like want to make a movie knowing that it'll be able to see it in a, on the big screen in a movie theater um, with their family and friends and they trip out on that and then it's over for them. And I love that. That's like my favorite thing about doing it. And when the times were the worst, 
for me with uh, with Gonzorific, uh, and I was most disheartened, knowing that I would be losing that experience year in and year out was what made me keep going, to be honest. Do you try to just keep it to be a local thing, or have you accepted films from outside of the Athens community? Oh, dude, yeah. Um, Henrik, he comes down every year with a, with a short film. And uh, he drives in from Ohio uh, and, and it plays. I don't like open for submissions or anything like that right, right. Uh, because it's not that kind of festival. It's I only have a certain amount of time at the theater. I got like a two hour block. So I don't want to have to deal with telling someone I can't show their movie because it's 30 minutes long or, you know what I mean? Or edge out one of my friend's movies that they worked on all year because somebody from, you know, LA that's not even going to be there, you know what I'm saying? Put in their movie. So I, I, I don't want to, start a film festival like like that i'm trying to put on a show like a, a local punk film show basically sure. is what this is uh it's not that i would would turn it down necessarily if it was a friend of mine because obviously henrik lives in ohio yeah but, um knowing that they physically come down here and support it like that makes all the difference one of the reasons why i do it and he's come down for so many of these shows that he's basically like honorary conservific anyway at this point. Uh, you know, he's friends with everybody, all the crew down here. Um, and, you know, there's there's been people that like, um, you know, there's people that moved here just to make movies with conservific. That's happened before too. So Atlanta, yeah, there's been a couple places that wanted to do the conservific show. And I'm like, well, we're only an hour north. Why don't you all just come out here and have a good time and throw down with us here? Why do I have to come there? You know what I mean? Right. I could just I could buy it like everybody else does. Have have they offered you money to try and pull you in there? No, but they want money. Of course they do. <laughs> they want me to rent it out or sell tickets. And I'm like, why would I do that? Gosh, no one's I, gonna come. It, that is one of the biggest swindles ever and i think i i think a lot of filmmakers don't realize this and maybe you could speak to this a little bit is that people always want you to try it and exhibit your movies at movie theaters all over the place but that's it's never free well why can't we why can't you get uh, a screening at such and such art theater downtown and it's like well because theaters want you to pay for all of the seats in that theater. They're not just going to give you a theater to sit no, and screen this stuff at. Yeah, no, they got to make money, man. And that, that's a, uh, that's one of the great things about, uh, about having it local like this is I know everybody that was in those movies and their friends and family and the people they work with, everybody's going to come down to watch this stuff. We're going to fill that place up, man. You know, I know it, I know it'll happen. So the theater knows it too. <laughs> and they're real stoked about it before they even built Athens Cine, which is on uh, Hancock Avenue. Uh, before they even built that place, the owner and me had a conversation about local film. And she was like, I cannot wait. I want to build a theater. I want to show weird movies. I want to show art film. I want to show foreign film. I want to be the antithesis of the multiplex. And I want to show you guys too. Because before that theater is built, um, our stuff was playing like at rock clubs. Like mm. Psycho Vixens played at midnight at the 40 Watt Club. That's <laughs> you know, awesome. During the big music fest. I mean, there, there was an organization called Film Athens in its infancy, which is still going today. Um, they were like, we want to put you guys on. We And they understood it completely. They put us on late at night. We, you know, so it was instead of like a headline and band spot, we had it. And, you know, so that was how we started out in Athens. They've always supported Gonzorific, always. So it sounds like you've kind of created your own little community here with Gonzo Rivik. Yeah. 
Yeah, you got to, man. I mean, you, that's the thing. I, if I was looking to join something, there wasn't nothing to join. You right. know, if you have a guitar, there is a lot of places that you can just call them and say, Hey man, my name is Blase Skippy. And I play this kind of music and they go, okay, we'll put you on, on folk music night or we'll put you on a hip hop night or whatever, you know? So there is a place for you that understands it or can at least kind of get you on or whatever. But if you're like, Hey man, look, uh, my name is Slim Jim and I put a bucket on my head and smash it with a hammer. Can I come play at your club? They'd be like, no, man, you can't. Why don't you go on the street corner and try that out? <laughs> but so there's not yet, you know, a club, you know, a way to show your movies like that. You know what I mean? There's just not that kind of a thing, at least not anywhere I can think of. And so I wanted to make that. I wanted, I wanted it to be, I wanted to have like, you know, it's not necessarily like open mic film, but it's definitely, you know, it embraces the weirdo side, the people that aren't necessarily, you know, gunning for industry success, but are taking advantage of all of the great things that digital provides for us, which is the sure. ability to experiment and film in an instantly rewarding way. And, you know, some of them, you know, they put their movie on the big screen like, oh, God, that was an awful experience. You know, they never make a movie again. <laughs> But other people are like, oh, man, I got this other idea and I met this person that wants to do it. And they just so jazzed. Yeah. You know? And and so over the years, I have slowly not had to been responsible for all the content of the Guns Are Fixed shows. Um, and I also have not had to direct and write the movies as much anymore either. Um, it's really an, an honest to goodness community group effort at this point. That's wonderful, man. That's amazing. If you were to tell somebody that say say one of these aspiring filmmakers that want to sit and um try to make something uh for Gonzo Rific if there was one thing you were going to tell somebody starting out about filmmaking what would it be i would just say they realize your own uniqueness you know there's no one else like you in the whole world you're a, you're a, a, you're a beautiful snowflake you know and so in that regard no one can be better at being you then you can. So just do that. That's all I, that's all I ask is that you just do that. You know, um, I think copying stuff is a good way to learn the art of cinema and the craft of film. And if, if making fan films is something you want to do or making tributes is something you want to do, that's fine. And certainly if you want to get somewhere in movie industry, you know, learn how to make movies the way that they make them is in your best interest. But, you know, if you just want to do it and just want to be like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to get another shot at making a movie. I just want to try it. I just want to, I've always wanted to do it or I want to see if I'm good at it. Use your own uniqueness and go with that. Have faith that what you come up with is not going to be a hundred percent like what somebody else is going to come up with. And um, let that be like your starting, your jump off point.
Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for doing this. As always, I've I've been so happy over the years to have you not only as as a participant on this show, but I've always wanted you to come on to sit and talk about the films you make uh, because you're doing some great things. Cool, man. I appreciate it, dude. I mean, I there's nothing unique about the fact that I make movies. I think there's something unique about the people that make them with me. And that's what I want the focus to to kind of be on. I know that sounds funny, me coming on here just myself, uh, talking about this group of people. But, you know, the, the reality is um, it's they are they are what does it. You know, I might have been the weirdo that kind of, you know, built this weird umbrella for them to do it under and gave them the idea yeah. that they could make film. But um, it really is, it really, what makes it unique is the parts that are inside it, you know, not, not necessarily me, but you know, the, the way the machine kind of functions and the, all the, all the little gooey sticky insides and there. I'm, I'm always blown away by watching them, man. I'm, you know, we're, we're uh, our new movie um, late night cable uh, is going to come out on May the 3rd. And there's some stuff in it that I was just editing the other night. And um, Kat English was sitting in the bathtub with a chainsaw right next to her. And she's forcing this woman to act out this weird movie. And she goes, if I don't see some action, you're going to get cut. And the way she says it, oh, man. I was just like, you'd have thought I started making movies yesterday. I couldn't believe it. I felt just like the luckiest person ever. Can't believe I'm sitting here watching this. I can't believe I know these people. It's like, you know, it's amazing to me. That's awesome. So where can uh, my listeners go to buy some of these movies and uh, or just see them in general? Oh, well, we have a ton of free. We have more things for free than we do have for sale. Um, so YouTube.com uh, is a place everybody's familiar with. Gonzorific is G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C. There's tons of all, all the early short films are on there. Almost everything that we've made that we don't currently sell, um, I, I try to upload to YouTube. You can watch it for free. Once it goes out of print, um, if you had the disc, that's cool. But uh, I at least want the movies out there. And so um, you can watch those there for free. Vimeo also has some uh, other stuff that's for free. And I don't remember what's on what. It's just all there. Um, Amazon On Demand has um, Fake Blood, which is our uh, mockumentary feature. Also, Mondo Gonzo, um, Pajama Nightmare, and the Underground Cinema, Cinema with an S. And then uh, I'm not exactly sure when um, Late Night Cable will get on there, but it's definitely going to be hopefully over the summer. And then Gonzorific.com is a little storefront where you can buy some of these on DVD and get all the crazy extra stuff. And there's, God, there's some stuff on these discs that I didn't even have the guts to show in a theater. I'm like, I don't know how I would feel about, you know, some things just went a little too far, <laughs> but they are on, uh, on some bonus features. So you can watch them in your own home and you deal with the feelings you get from that. And I'll have to be sitting there next to you when they happen. <laughs> you can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, YouTube, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Coming from me, Derek Carey, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey.